electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, unsettled stocks, a hawkish Fed share, a move higher in interest rates, all weighing on your money as this week comes to a close. We'll debate the road ahead with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Shannon Sakosha, Degas Wright, Steve Weiss and Josh Brown. Let's check stocks. I'll take you to the wall. Dow's trying to avoid a fourth straight losing week. Not doing a good job of it now. Lows of the day down 620. One and three quarters percent. That's the same decline for the S&P 500. A little bit more than that. Nasdaq's under pressure today. That's a 200 point loss. Under 13,000 there. 289 is the yield on the 10 year. Steve Weiss, you're short the S&P and you're short the Q's. Powell was hawkish yesterday. Reverse the market. Why'd you put that trade on? Well, Scott, first, before you do that, I think we have to hold a moment of silence uh, for a loss in the investment family. And that loss is Tina. Uh, there is no alternative because now there are alternatives and that's the bond. So that's treasuries at around 3%. So that had been a big part of the thesis for a lot of people being invested in the market. And with the Fed's hawkish stance, and this is why I shorted those. I shorted them earlier in the week, and I'm long Sark. Uh, look, the Fed is the most aggressive, I recall, in decades. And there's one thing that continue to upset equity markets, and that's the Fed. So you just don't fight it, no matter which way it's going. And people are still like Pavlov's dogs. The bell rings, the market trades down, they think they have to buy. So there's hardly, you know, much risk management going on with those people. And if they sell something, they buy something else. So I still think you want to be in cash. I still think the market goes lower. Uh, we've got a global tightening policy going on from the central banks that matter. And that's going to continue to weigh on averages. It's going to continue to weigh on multiples. And there'll be better times. So just ask yourself, as I've often done, you know, would you rather protect your downside and lose less money? Or do you want to try and catch the bottom by deploying more capital? So I'd rather protect my assets. My equity exposure is just below 30% at this point. That's been pretty consistent. Um, I try, you know, I can't go to zero because I just don't want to pay taxes. I hate right. paying taxes. Right. And that'd be generating a big loss as well. So, so I'm so, happy where I am positioned. So but Shannon, still losing money. Let me make that clear. Okay. Um, you know, Shannon, so do, does this action in the market tell you that rate hikes aren't fully priced in? What, what's the message of the Fed chair yesterday was as hawkish as we expect. I don't know why people are surprised when the chair or others on the committee are hawkish. They're, they're trying to tell you that rate hikes and a lot of them are coming and they want to hit risk assets. I don't know how much more clear they can make it. So why does the market seemingly act surprised when it hears the message? 
Well, I think that this level of transparency is what we've been building, you know, to over the course of the last decade, Scott. I mean, you remember we never had this type of um, outward transparency from the Fed historically. And I think what is happening is that, um, you know, Powell, as well as other members of the Fed governors, are trying to remind the market that this is, to your point, not inconsistent messaging from what they've been saying since the beginning of the year. Um, I do think that there is this misperception that if the Fed acts as aggressively as they are um, anticipated to do and as, as they are messaging that they will do, that they will launch us into a very deep recession. And economic data does not support that thesis. And so because the market seemingly, to your point, believes that the Fed will not be as aggressive as they have stated that they will, as aggressive as the bond market is pricing that, that they will be, um, because there will be this great recessionary impact, it's just not, it's inconsistent with the economic data. Could we see a slowdown? Could we see a recession in 2023? Absolutely. Are we going to see slowing economic data? Definitely. Um, but that, you know, the Fed does not believe that that is enough to create a deep recession. And the market needs to acknowledge the fact that although we are going to see slower earnings growth and slower economic growth, we are not going to be put in a position where there's a deep recession. But we do need to acknowledge that the Fed is not messing around. They're not messing around. I mean, and Nomura Degas is out with a note today suggesting as much. They look for 50 basis points in May and then they look for 75 in June and another 75 in July. That's a reality check if, in fact, it comes to fruition. Exactly. I agree with Shannon. We have to listen to the Fed. They're telegraphing what they're going to do. So as an investor, you want to look at your portfolio and start focusing on de-risking, taking away the risk aspect of your portfolio and look for quality names that have pricing power. And so that's what we've been doing. And I think we would advise anyone to start really looking at their portfolio to get away from those risk e assets. Josh, you know, Ed Yardeni says 50 basis points are coming at each of the next five meetings. So what's the story with the market's reaction to what seems to be a foregone conclusion? I mean, rates are getting hiked. The Fed wants stocks and other risk assets to go down. Yeah, uh, I've been bearish since January, saying the same thing again and again. You can't get too negative. When you see that VIX up at um, 28, 29, 30, find something to buy. I don't care what it is. Um, and then vice versa. When you're back at 20, 19, take something off. Um, and that has worked really uh, flawlessly. So I'm Team Weiss. I've been all year. It's very rare that the two of us are this aligned. The Fed has to do, uh, write, th write this term down. This is the word of the year, okay? Oh, this is the, the phrase of the year. Demand destruction. The Fed is literally trying to destroy demand. That is the mechanism by which they cool off the economy. It's not magic. It's not a spell that they cast. They literally have to destroy some of the demand in order to cool off prices, in order to cool off core PCE, which hopefully will be peaking when we see the March data uh, next week. But look, demand destruction is not going to be fun. And stocks have gotten ahead of this. The majority of stocks peaked in February of 2021 and have not made a new high since. That's over a year of declining prices. It started in the SPACs and the, and the, and the post-IPOs 
and the high growth names and its spread. We've had a handful of sectors holding us up here and really only two stocks that matter at the moment. And I wrote about this this morning, Judge, um, and I don't know if you want to go here yet, but let me tell you something. If Apple and Microsoft can't hold up next week, they report on uh, uh, Microsoft's Tuesday, Apple's Thursday. Yeah. Forget it. Forget it. You're going to get – right now you're down 16% NASDAQ, maybe 17%. You'll be in a 20%-plus bear market. Um, the S&P, I think, you'll be worse than 10% year-to-date, which, by the way, would rival the losses that we're seeing in the bond market. And when you have stocks and bonds both down double digits to start the year, that really can F with uh, everybody's sentiment. Like, that is a psychological body blow. And I am concerned that that's the situation we could find ourselves in next week if either Apple and Microsoft don't put up great numbers or even if they do and you don't get a rally. Look how great Tesla's number was yesterday. Nobody cared. They sold it off. Blackstone, great earnings. Nobody cared. The stock got hammered. I'm concerned. I think those two stocks need to hold up. They're both approaching critical levels of support, and I don't know if they will. Weiss, uh, hence the short in the queues, right? Are, are you concerned about what those two stocks? And look, there are many other big stocks. Next week's the busiest week of, of earnings, including those mega caps, among other big names in tech. Um, to Josh's point, if they don't deliver a lot, right? Not just beating the numbers, right? I think the bar is now been raised across the spectrum of how good reports have to be, then you could get that retest that people have been talking about, looking for, waiting for. Um, and those stocks holding up to the degree which they have, have has largely kept a bigger drawdown from happening. Yeah, and Josh, every one of Josh's points was, was dead on. Uh, look, you know, you have, you've had some really good earnings come out. I mean, look at Snap and what's Snap doing. One of the best performance, basically flat today. I haven't looked since we come on air. So these, these pops that happen in the stocks are for a second. So if the good ones that are reporting can't get traction, if there are occasions for investors to sell, what happens if they miss? So I, I'm short calls Apple. I'm long some puts on Apple. I'll be long or more. I haven't done anything in Microsoft yet. I will to protect the downside because the market is brutal on the downside and not rewarding the upside. So, so why would I be there? And the economy, sure, the economy's okay right now. Yeah, absolutely. But it's not going to be because the Fed is tightening. And this is what's interesting about this. There's a lot the Fed can't control. It can't control they can't control oil prices. It really can't control the supply chain. So they've got to be even more aggressive to hit demand because of those inflationary factors that wouldn't normally exist in an economic cycle. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so bearish, because their hammer has to be bigger, harder and swung a lot, lot more. So I think you want to stay inside. Well, I mean, it's no it's no surprise. It, I'm sorry. It's no surprise that the commentary from the Fed feels more hawkish by the day almost um, from whether it's a known hawk or a dove. I mean, everybody sort of is speaking the same language. Steve Leisman, our senior economics reporter, is with us. We're not imagining this, Steve. Right. I mean, it's been happening day by day. It has been. That is correct, Scott. But I'm going to um, what's the right way to say this? I'm going to go away from what we had originally talked about. We were going to talk about and do something different. I just think 
the market is too far out over its skis on this 75 stuff. I was reading the Nomura report this morning yeah. saying it was a trial balloon. This was not a trial balloon. I know what a trial balloon looks like. This is not a trial balloon. I, I want to go through the tape here, Scott, if you give me a second here and show you what happened this week. L let's start off with Monday. I did an interview with Jim Bowler, the St. Louis Fed president, um, for the Council for Foreign Relations. I said, Jim, is it possible you may go further than 50? He said, yeah, 75 is possible, but it's not my base case. Later in the week, Evan says, I'm all down for 50s. I don't think we have to go higher than that, but we may have to go restrictive overall in policy. Daly, the next day, this is the third big one here, I think, where Daly the next day goes, hey, um, uh, 25, 50, 75, we're all going to deliberate this. I don't think 75 is in the cards for May. Pretty darn sure it's not in the cards for June. And I think July is, is maybe not going to happen either. I will say, though, that the market is trading. If you do a lot of math, which I just did with my friend Luke Crandall from Wrightson, there is a 40% probability now built in of at least one 75 basis point uh, rate hike uh, in between now and August, which is those three meetings, May, June, July. Let me tell you what I think a 75 is in the mind of the Fed. I think the Fed's going to do a couple 50s here, Scott. And I don't think, I think Powell wants to be really careful to see how the market accepts these 50 basis point hikes. And then I think they're going to take a look in the summertime and maybe early fall and say, wait a second, is there any movement or positive developments um, on inflation? Have we achieved any of that? demand destruction that uh, Mr. Josh Brown was talking about. And if not, and there's a feeling that the 50s weren't enough, well, you know, thank you, sir, may I have another, whatever that phrase is from the, from the movie. And I think the Fed at that point, after looking at how 50s work and whether or not there's any relief at all inflation, might perhaps go to 75. But this is not a trial balloon for near-term 75s. That's not the way this went down this week. You think they think... Do you think they think that they can get demand destruction with 50 and 50? I mean, it feels like no. It's happening in housing already. I think they... What, I, 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 what did Josh say? Sorry, I missed that, Josh. He said it's happening in housing already. It, 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 it may be happening in housing already. Where there's an amazing number of very strong cross currents. And as a fly fisherman, I know currents. You have this one current that Scott was talking about which is, uh, Josh was talking about with housing. You have this other current that's happening going the other way, kind of going upstream, which is this idea of coming back from Omicron and going back to traveling. You also have some people saying, hey, I'm bidding up for more expensive things. You've got inflation and, 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 and federal spending going, going downstream and the other thing of, of consumers having a lot of savings going upstream. So it's unclear is the answer to your question, but I think the Fed feels a certain limit in how much it believes it can do at any one time, I don't think Powell wants to come in and crash this market by making it, uh, you know, digest a 75 basis point rate hike without proper, what's the word, right word, conditioning. Nope. I don't think the Bullard and Daly story is it, and he didn't speak about it yesterday, for the, the record. The point he you, talked about 50s yesterday. The point you make, I think, is so great, and it's the idea, the, the current going, you know, with the people who are going to be spending all this money on travel, you hear it from Kirby and um, Ed Bastian of, of Delta, and you see what's happening they're, in airlines. They're selling stocks. out business class. My, you can't get a business class seat on some of these planes. My point is that that current feels to me stronger than the current that's going to be created by 50 and then 50. 
Right. But 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 in the interim, Scott, do you have some of the supply chain stuff chill out in a way that perhaps helps take the edge off inflation? And then we don't know what happens with the war and oil supplies from from Russia and and wheat and 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 wheat supplies from Ukraine and Russia. Well, I mean, the, the, the point, though, um, too, is the you think that the market's gotten way too far over its skis. Steve, thank you very much. I appreciate it. That's Steve I, Leisman. I just want to say I just want to, one caveat, though, Scott, which is that the market I think what's happened is the market's kind of gotten a little bit angry here and said, you know what, we've been a little bit behind the Fed and the Fed keeps moving the, the, the ball on us here. And so now we're going to get out in front of it. I think that's where the market is right now. They said, you know, we're going to do we're going to price in even the remotest possibility. So I get why they've done it. I just think that when when Nomura writes this is a trial balloon. Yeah, I don't think so. Well, I was going to ask you then, I mean, which market's doing it more? Is it the bond market or the equity market? That's that's over its skis, right. if you will. Right. I don't know. All right, Steve. Good stuff. Have a good weekend. We'll see you I next week. Um, Thanks. Let's do this. Let, let's hit a couple of, uh, of other moves that I wanted to get to uh, before we move uh, things forward here. Degas Wright, you have some moves that you made. Did you sell Square? Is that one of the big moves that you made? Block, yes, Scott. We sold square, Block. block um, whatever you want to call it. Yes. Exactly. Um, you know, one of the things we started looking at from a valuation point perspective and going from uh, from the more risky co- companies to quality. And so what we saw in Square is that we graded Square about a D in our grading process. And we saw that the valuation was too high. It was has like a 266 times earnings multiple. Also, we were very concerned with Square's use of their revenue, they get about 57% of their revenue from cryptocurrency fees. We're forecasting that cryptocurrency transactions are going down, and so that's going to have a significant impact on their revenue. Plus, we were also concerned about the fact that their long-term debt increased from $2.6 billion to about $4.6 billion in one year. Also, we've noticed that the Earnings expectations are going down for this particular company. So we decided this is a company we did not want to hold, and we made that decision. All right. Fair enough. You're entitled to do that. Cleveland Cliffs crushing estimates today, but the stock has given up all of its big gains from earlier today, which is interesting because farmer Jim Labenthal, you know how he feels about Cleveland Cliffs, and he's going to join us next. You know he's going to defend it, but what's the message in the market today that he has to deal with? Plus, we're keeping an eye on the big sell-off right now. You see it in front of you, 600-point decline for the Dow. There's the Nasdaq down 1.5%, giving up 13,000, 4,300, right about where the S&P is sitting. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier. Because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion. Helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Shares of Cleveland Cliffs, take a look at the intraday chart. Quite interesting because it was a big beat and a big gain, which has now turned into a loss by some two-thirds of 1%, which is very interesting. As you know, Jim Labenthal loves this stock. I, I think it's his biggest position. He joins us now to discuss what is going on. Man, you were crowing on Twitter. If you don't know what to do with this stock, I can't help you. You gave all the metrics. They beat on this. They beat on that. They Free cash flows this. The guidance was amazing. Why the stock reverse? You know, it's pretty annoying, Scott, but it seems to happen with every earnings release that the stock goes down, no matter how good it is. And last quarter was a blowout as well. The stock went down. Frankly, that's why when I was on with you yesterday, I didn't make it my final trade, but I'm making it my final trade right now. And here's why. Here's why. Uh, analysts have estimates for this year. Free cash flow as measured by EBITDA, $4.8 billion. The last 12 months, trailing 12 months, the company did $6 billion in EBITDA. And now they're seeing price hikes of 17%. They raised their guidance on realized price for this year by 17%. They're seeing volumes pick up, including for the auto manufacturers. And so this is going to be a gargantuan beat to what analyst estimates are for this year's EBITDA. Why is the stock down today? It's pretty annoying. Is it the market? Is it that people are taking profits, maybe? It could be. Stock's up 35% year-to-date, 70% in one year, 660% in two years. So it could be some profit-taking. But let me be very clear. This is a buy right here at this price. You should be buying this. I felt like you were making the case to why you should take your profits and run and be happy that you did. 700% in two years. I mean, you you yourself said, I mean, the market don't lie. Right. If the stock well, goes down no, every the time they a, report, how regardless Scotty, of how good it is, a, the market is a dingbat on days that Cliffs reports. I mean, it's just a dingbat. I wouldn't follow this market into a petting zoo on a day like today. Um, but having said that, I'm just going to go to the numbers that matter because this is what matters to an investor. Six billion dollars of free cash flow EBITDA in the last 12 months. That's versus a market cap of 15 billion. That's a 40 percent free cash flow yield. Find that somewhere else for me. Find that in FANG. Find that for me in an ARC stock. Find that for me anywhere. You can't. That's why you got to buy this. Even if you're concerned that the economy is slowing and is going to slow further? Uh, that's a great question. It's a really good question. You have to make your call on that. Isn't it an, I just, just, just an obvious question? I just listened to the conference call this morning. Lorenzo Gonsalves gave absolutely no indication that things were slowing down. This quarter, first quarter, he had higher shipments to the auto OEMs since COVID began. So he's seeing the pickup in autos right now. We know that as soon as they can, that they can produce cars, get the chips to produce them, the demand is there. He's just not seeing any demand slowdown. Yeah, not yet, but we spent the entire you know, part of the first block talking about what the Fed's trying to do to demand. 
and it's going it's to a take totally a while. Legitimate point. It's a completely legitimate point, Scott. Um, however, the facts are these. The Fed has raised 25 basis points so far. They will raise, it looks like, 50 basis points in May. And for me, I said this to you yesterday, let's take a look at the two PPI and CPI reports that come out between now and the June 15th reports. I'll make my judgment about what the Fed will do based on those reports. I'm not going to telegraph it now because I don't know. Okay. I mean, all right. Steve Weiss, I mean, you've made the argument that that this stock, in your words from a debate that we had in overtime uh, about a month ago, that it's not a growth company. I mean, Jim literally just made the exact opposite argument. So not for the sake of just arguing with Jim, but why is he wrong? First of all, Scott, give me a minute to recover from the use of the word dingbat. Um, look, I don't know that he's wrong. Uh, I, I, it's, uh, you know, in his mind, but I would tell you in anybody else's mind, it's a steel company. It's cyclical. They may be fully integrated. You have a phenomenal CEO. But at the end of the day, it is not a growth company. If auto demand slows down, and it will, we saw Carvana report their first loss in a long time, uh, then they're going to suffer. So, look. You know, I sold the stock in the mid-20s. It was, you know, one of the few that maybe the only, actually, that I sold that continued to go up. Every other sale had been a good sale. Everybody loves the stock, despite what's going on today, which is more market-related than stock-specific. But I just think if you're thinking it's a growth company, and if that's what other people are thinking going into this, then you should definitely sell the company, because it is not, period. Josh, do you have an opinion of, of this in this debate? I'm with Jim and just in terms of like there we, we just started earnings season last week. There have been some companies with great reports where the stock finished the day down 7%. It's only inexplicable if you don't pull the lens back further and then say, oh, wait a minute. The stock went up 40, 80, 100 something percent over the last few years in anticipation of this economy getting back to full potential. And now we're here and it's a sell-the-news response. So it's annoying. I've owned plenty of stocks where you get the news right, but you get the market reaction wrong. That's why the game's not easy. Right, but... If it were as simple as, well, hold on, company ABC is going to have great earnings, therefore I buy company ABC, that's what Howard Marks refers to as first-level thinking. It's not helpful. It's anything intuitive is not yeah, helpful. But you made everyone a whole, already agrees with you. You made a grand presentation with yeah. your words of the year, demand destruction, and now you're telling me that it doesn't matter for a stock that is all about demand and whether it gets destroyed or not? I'm not saying that at all. What do you mean? It does matter. But that, the stock is seemingly reacting to an earnings report today, but it's not. The earnings were widely expected to be good. Jim was right. Everybody agreed with him. Today is a bad uh, market sentiment day. Therefore, as, as, uh, as my British camp counselor used to say when my soccer ball hit the goalpost, unlucky. It's unlucky. Sorry, yeah, Jim. Yeah, but he's not making a one-day call. He's not making a one-day call. He's making a longer-term call. I get call. that. Now you, 
Now you gotta wait 90, you gotta wait 90 days to see if you get another upside earning surprise, and you gotta hope the market doesn't go down me, 600 points that day. Here. And I, let me help people out here, all right? The bulk of Cleveland Cliff's business is on contracts, fixed contracts with price escalators. This is not something that there's variability, like if hot rolled coiled steel falls out of bed next week, like they're exposed to it. They've got long-term contracts in place. Um, <clears throat> look, I, I, all I can tell you is this, if the stock goes down meaningfully, They've got $6 billion of free cash flow. They've already authorized a $1 billion share buyback. They'll buy back shares. And um, look, as far as my use of the word dingback goes, I did get a text from Liz Young saying she liked it. I'll take her opinion over Steve's. <laughs> and by the way, I did hear the uh, the Cliffs, your guy, the, the CEO on Squawk this morning, and he, he did. And you make a great point about the, the fixed contracts, right? So they, they don't have to worry about the variability and the volatility that some others um, otherwise might because of the way that they've done their business. So your, your points and are well I haven't, taken. Scott, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. And I'll make this quick. I haven't even talked about the fact that they control all of their raw inputs domestically. They're not reliant on pig iron from Ukraine. They've got, they mine their own iron ore. They bought a scrap metal company last year. The, their margins are about 5x what their competitors are. Let me rephrase that. Their the cost of goods that matters, is one The only thing that matters is do people want to buy or sell the stock? That's it. All, everything that you're saying is true. It doesn't matter right now. Do more people want to buy the stock versus do more people want to sell it? And right now, right yep. now, because it's a cyclical and because markets are reacting very strongly to Bullard and a whole host of people, uh, more people want to sell it. And it's unfortunate because it's a very, it's a great story. Fundamentally, you nailed the gym. You, you deserve a lot of credit. But... There's no dollar figure from getting the earnings right. The dollar figure comes from getting the stock price right. And sometimes that's hard to do because the market environment won't cooperate. Um, so you can, I, I, you, I, I, you can get it right and still, and still unfortunately be susceptible to that. Josh, I, I agree with what you're saying about market conditions. I, I have no argument with you whatsoever. My, my point is, to be clear, I'm not crying in my coffee about this at all. The company is outperforming. I expect for the reasons that I listed, it will continue to okay. do so. And on earnings day, this stock acts like a goofball. All right. That's why I didn't make it my final trade yesterday, but it's my final trade today as strongly as I can make that case. We're making that your final word for today, too. We got to go. Thank have you. a good weekend. We'll see you next week. That's Jim Labenthal. Bertha Coombs has the headlines for us. Hi, Bertha. Scott, here's your CNBC News update at this hour. In Afghanistan, more attacks on mosques and schools. A Taliban official says at least 33 people are dead, including some students, after a bombing in Kunduz province. No one has admitted responsibility yet for that attack, but Afghanistan's Islamic State says it was responsible for explosions earlier this week targeting Shiite neighborhoods. MSNBC has obtained audio of House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy speaking to senior lawmakers just after the January 6th attack on the Capitol. It backs up a New Book's claim denied by McCarthy that he said then-President Trump had admitted to him he bore some responsibility for what had happened and that McCarthy was frustrated with the president. I've had it with this guy. Uh, what he did is unacceptable. Um, Nobody can defend that and nobody should defend it. 
And Washington Crossing, the Delaware, will be sold by a New York auction house next month. It's expected to bring in around $20 million. The iconic image, an 1851 painting by Emanuel Lutz, was displayed in the White House from the 1970s until 2014. It's one of two versions measuring three feet by six feet. The other, much larger version by the painter is the centerpiece of the Metropolitan Museum's American Wing. That one is not for sale. Tonight on the news, how rising healthcare costs are hitting older people. Halftime is back after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Got a couple of calls to talk about. Union Pacific is one, down 2.5%, almost 3%. Downgraded to neutral from buy UBS. Shannon, you own it. We do have a big debate over the last few weeks on the state of the transports, shipping, etc., What's your take on this stock in this call? Well, the call is basically that they can't meet the demand that they have. So if you look at total traffic growth for last year, it came in shy of that 5% ex- expectation. And that really was because they have, they're having trouble hiring engineers and conductors. And so this, again, this trickle through of, you know, tightness in the labor market, particularly for specialized uh, roles. Um, I think from a secular perspective, longer term, you know, they're going to figure this out. They're going to get the, uh, the appropriate hiring done. Um, and I don't think, despite the demand, and destruction that we've been talking about. Um, I think with continued companies moving back onshore, um, rail is going to continue to be very important. Margins have improved this company over the last several years with precision, precision scheduling. Um, I think it's a great place to play in the industrial space. Okay, let's talk some airlines. Um, United Airlines upgraded to overweight over at JP Morgan. You've got American upgraded, while JetBlue and Hawaiian were downgraded. Steve Weiss, I bring this up because you did have a, uh, another really bullish call, and we've mentioned it already from the CEO um, in terms of the comments he made about the environment. And it follows Ed Bastian and Delta Airlines saying the same thing. And yet you sold Delta Airlines. Is this a matter of just getting out while the getting's good? That's exactly right. So I was up 17 percent in just a couple of weeks uh, when there was a lot of skepticism, when people were hating it. I own Delta because they're hedged. Pretty much the others don't hedge except for Alaska. And now that everybody loves it 
and everybody sees what's going on, I believe that you've realized most of the gains. So given my market view, it's a great time to take profits on positions where you have profits. And besides, the airlines, you only rent them. You don't go long term into airlines because that's been a losing strategy over time. So I'm out. I'm glad to be out. Nice trade. If I miss some of the upside, so be it. Okay, good stuff. When we come back, Dow member American Express is lower despite an earnings beat. Stephanie Link owns it. She calls in to talk about it next, or maybe you'll see her. I'm not sure if she's a Skype or if she's a call or if she's a Zoom, but we'll find out in two minutes. We're back on the Halftime Report. Dow component American Express beating earnings estimates. Stock, though, is negative. Let's bring in Stephanie Link to talk about it because she owns it. Steph, I mean, this seems to be the theme of the day or maybe the week. You beat. Doesn't matter. Kramer said it was an incredible quarter, one of the best. Yet here we are. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the market overall. It's actually relatively outperforming financials and the market. That, so there's that. But it never feels good when a stock is down. But there was nothing wrong with this quarter, Scott. It really was good. And, and, and to be honest with you, it's a buying opportunity, in my, in my opinion. Um, it's very well positioned for the reopen. And so when things settle down, I, I think I might even add more. And by the way, this is my very largest position in my portfolio now. So in terms of the quarter itself, better earnings, better revenues, guidance of 18 to 20 percent for this year. That's up from 14 and a half percent growth for revenues that they started with the year at. And then they guided mid-teens for the next several years in terms of total revenue. So the highlights, net interest income, that's rate sensitive, right, up 20%. Net interest margin up seven basis points. Card fee growth up 16% year over year. They assigned up 3 million new cards. Card spend was up 35%, led by millennials and Gen Zs up 56% in spend. SMB, small, medium business, up uh, 20%. Uh, excuse me, 30%, and T&E up 121% year over year. These are all really great, great numbers. The only thing you could nitpick was expenses were a little bit higher, but that's that, that's okay with me because they're investing. So they're investing to put up this kind of growth. Um, and I think at 19 times earnings, it's a very attractive. And I think a lot of this also, the action today, is it was up 13% year to date, headed into the print, the market's down nine. And so maybe it's just giving a little bit back. And if people are going to spend more on travel and entertainment, right, as you, as you said, they, they more than doubled those areas, right, to pre-pandemic uh, yeah. mm-hmm. levels. If they're spending more there and spending less on goods and, and other items, um, it doesn't really matter, right? As long as they're spending somewhere and spending a lot. And we know from everybody in that space thus far, hospitality, travel, entertainment, et cetera, that spending is going to be strong. Absolutely. And that's really the that's the kicker to this story for 2022 into 2023. We've had leisure spending and good spending happen over the last year. We haven't had business spend really recover. And so I'm looking for the business side of things to really pick up. That's why small, medium business is up 30 percent in spend was actually very encouraging. There's a lot of ways you can win. The balance sheet's very strong. They're buying back a ton of stock. I just think this is quality. And if it gets quality on sale, you want to be buying it. This is silly season. You know earnings season is silly season, Scott. That's what I call it. So take advantage of the silliness and the reactions. All right. Appreciate it. Good weekend. We'll see you next week. That's Stephanie Link joining us there. You too. Um, Degas, Verizon, uh, yet another one. Um, Revenue beat, fewer than expected uh, losses of subscribers, and yet that stock is one of the worst today. Yes, Scott. You know, this goes back to Josh's early comments. We have just a market, uh, negative market sentiment. 
Now, this is a stock that has a valuation of 11 times multiple. It is one of our companies that we really like. And then we actually looked at the fact that it met on earnings, beat on revenues. It did come in at lower, on the lower end of the guidance. Revenue will grow about 9%. But we feel that this is a time to buy this company. And, you know, this is just market sentiment today, but this is a positive company and has had a, a really good uh, quarter. All right. Good stuff. Kimberly Clark is soaring right now to Degas. So get ready to talk about that. It's the second best performing stock in the S&P today. Degas owns it, which is why we're going to talk about it when we come back. Plus, CNBC is celebrating Financial Literacy Month. Here is contributor Kerry Firestone on how financial literacy is a great equalizer. I think financial literacy is important for this country because it's a great equalizer. It allows people to be independent. It gives people a playing field because they understand how to deal with their money, the importance of saving income, cash flow, and debt. And if you don't have that, you create a class of people that do understand and those that do not. And that is not what democracies are about. Shares of Kimberly Clark having the best day since 2000. That's after the company posted strong first quarter results, raised the guidance as well. I said, Degas, you own it. Um, and some people are saying that staples are getting too expensive. What do you think? I don't think so, uh, Scott, because ultimately, Kimberly Clark is in our dividend strategy. And this strategy focuses on companies that have quality and provide income. So with Kimberly Clark, you're having about a 4% dividend yield. It is uh, priced at about a multiple of 18 times. And we beat on earnings about 10% uh, percent, and revenues about 4%. And let's look at where this type of company is going to really benefit as we get into a rising inflation market. Consumers are going to buy their you know, toilet paper, their staple items, those personal product items. Plus, Kimberly Clark has a international strategy they want to grow in the developed markets and also in the emerging markets. So this is a company that you want to hold, particularly in an inflationary environment. Shan, Procter & Gamble, Mondelez, some of the, I'm looking at the fact set right now to see these stocks have, have all done so well. And there have been calls that this trade has run its course, that these are just too expensive now to freshly buy here. What, what do you say to that? Yeah, I mean, going back to the top of the show, Scott, I think we need to think about if we are going into a slower economic environment, if people are feeling like there needs to be a, sl a flight to safety, um, as much as Steve said, Tina is 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 gone. Um, I still think there's going to be sectors where people are looking to hide out. And I think this is the place. We're also not expecting to see as much trade down um, from branded products because we are experiencing that K-shaped recovery. And so I think that that's less of a stressor on these um, branded portfolios than perhaps we would have seen in 2009. 2010. Josh, would you buy Staples here or no? Well, I think you want to have some representation of Staples in your portfolio. I don't think you should be excluding completely any sector. Um, but one thing that I've said about Staples is that uh, a lot of a lot of active managers, because they can't go to cash, will use something like a consumer staple uh, just because they have to buy something. And most of our viewers are not in that situation. So I never loved the idea of I'm going to buy this company because they make cans of salt water and it'll go down less than other stocks if the economy slows. That, I'm not a fan of that style of investing. So I think some of the companies in Staples have merits. 
Uh, not all of them do. Some of them are way too expensive. Some of them have been bid up because of the dividend uh, feature. Uh, be careful with that. You don't want to chase a 4% dividend only to have a share price drop 15% on you and, and basically wipe out four years worth of dividends. So uh, I, I think you don't want to paint with too broad a brush here. Just understand why you're buying something, not just because you think other people are going to buy it. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about some of the stocks hitting new 52-week lows. I got Salesforce. Shannon owns that. Lowe's not seen since 2020. Disney. Shannon owns that, too. We'll kick those around. We come back. Dow's down 520. So we've come off the lows, but it's still a red day across the board. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Real debate and actionable advice from the investment committee, plus unusual activity and more. Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. All right. Take a look at Salesforce. We're going to start with that one at the top of the list of some of the names that I mentioned. Salesforce, worst Dow stock this week, down almost 8%. Worst Dow stock this month, down 17%. Worst Dow stock this year, down 31%. Shannon. Well, I'm so glad they added this to the Dow so you have all these metrics to throw at me, Scott. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that when you think about, you know, just overall cloud infrastructure, um, you think about high growth names, you think about a name like Salesforce that is expected to continue to grow, you know, 20 plus percent, um, you know, this is going to feel that pressure. But, you know, in, in from my perspective, being able to deliver, um, you know, in this hybrid working environment, you need a chassis like Salesforce. Um, it's so malleable. It's so flexible. There's so much latitude for companies across industries to use this. Um, I continue to think this is a great place to play the cloud. What about Disney following Netflix? The pressure's now on and the results when they report, I guess, better be really good. Yeah, I mean, DTC is just seeing this pressure, right? So we've got all these com- competitors in streaming. Um, we knew this was coming. High costs, uh, you know, for customer acquisition. You know, there's a lot of players in the space. Jim and I have both have exposure here. Um, I think that we're really looking at park revenue, um, the, the ability to pass through a lot of these costs to park revenue. Um, and there's this little situation happening in Florida um, that could be a big bump um, if they decide that they are not going to need to uh, support, uh, from an infrastructure perspective, their uh, their little township there. So um, I expect really strong park revenue this quarter. Um, but is it enough to offset some of these streaming concerns? Not so sure. Hey, Weiss, Skyworks, Lowe's not seen since June of 2020. You sold it in March, so not that long ago. What do you make of that? Hey, I think it's grossly undervalued at this level. Look, there, there's a lot of exposure to Apple uh, because that's about 50% of their business and a lot of exposure to iPhones. And one of the issues, I may, one of the concerns about Apple is that with inflation being how it is, more money is going to go towards groceries and, and gas than it's going to go to $1,000 phones. So that's the risk. And I think that's what you're seeing in Skyworks. Not only those, the other semis as well, okay. including ones, by the way, like on semi that's completely sold out this year to, uh, to the auto companies and has a good book of business for next year as well. Yeah. All right. We'll step away for a sec. Come back to final trades next. Overtime, 4 o'clock Eastern on this Friday. Josh Brown's going to be back with me tonight along with CNBC's Jim Cramer. Can't wait to hear from Jim after this week and especially how this day may finish up right when I see you at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. So I look forward to that. Let's do final trades. Degas, please kick us off. Yes, we like Costco because of their strategy of selling 
discounted price products to consumers looking for value and convenience. Okay, Shan? VMware moving from core server into more subscription-based products. We believe hybrid environments are here to stay. Okay, Steve Weiss? Lots of companies selling your private equity multiples, Volkswagen being one of them, Skyworks, as you mentioned, being another. Yeah. Josh Brown. If you have short-term money and you're not 100% sure what to do, don't just go buy a consumer staple or throw money at a stock just because it fell. SHY is one to three-year treasury. There's now actually a pretty decent yield on there on a 30-day uh, SEC yield basis. Take a look at that as an alternative. Josh, we're going to expand, too, on this idea of how important next week is. Give me a few thoughts to, to look ahead to what we're going to discuss today uh, in, in overtime on what's riding on these earnings reports. I think Apple has to hold 150 uh, post-earnings or le leading into mm -hmm. earnings. We'll see what happens. Okay. I think Microsoft is equally important, 275. Gotcha. I'll see you uh, in a few hours. Everybody have a great weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.